Hello, and welcome to the Modern Romantic Podcast, where we celebrate romanticism through creative outlets and passionate people doing incredible things. Um, to celebrate the fact that uh, my partner and I have gone through all of the Lord of the Rings films from start to finish, all three films, I am now and forevermore Lord of the Rings. Uh, hi, Yay! I'm Trey. <laughs> you have Which no is... idea how happy I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is the joyous sounds of my co-host Emily uh, the Brave. Hi, Emily. Hello. I you have made my day. That is so great. I'm glad you finished them and got through them. What did you think? Um, okay, so I like them first and foremost. Um, I think it would have made more of an impact when I was younger, um, having watched them. Uh, but now as a 30-year-old uh, man, um, it I don't think it had quite the same impact. But I do like them. Um, I feel like Emily's face is deflating. <laughs> I keep talking, so I'm just going to stop. No, it's fine. No, be honest. It's okay here. <laughs> um, I really like the storytelling. Um, I thought the costumes really told the story. There were so many details in literally everything. Um, Seth and I are moving to Rivendale for sure. Uh, we already have decided that. So we are going to, um, so we're going to find a place that looks remarkably like that with a nice waterfall feature uh, behind us. Uh, um, and we will feature. move there. <laughs> a waterfall feature, you know, super common. Um, <laughs> but they're like overall, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, they're totally everywhere. Uh, but yeah, I really liked it. Um, I think my favorite was the first one because uh, it just had a lot of magic to it. But I really felt the weight of the movies officially in the third one. So that one, sure. when they got spoiler warning for a, uh, for a potentially almost twenty year movie, um, they get back to the Shire, and um, that is such a heartwarming and heart wrenching moment. So, um, yeah, that's my thought. Okay, well, I'll just be happy that you at least watched it. So now all the references I give, you'll understand now. Yes, uh, and now a lot of Seth's jokes make a lot more sense because before they just went, woo, like a 747. You're like, my precious, and you're like, why are you saying it that way? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, um, but the uh, lovely person that we have on our podcast tonight uh, has a lot to share with us. Uh, much like Lord of the Rings has shared with many people, this lovely guest has shared so much with countless audiences. So, uh, Emily, would you do us the honors of introducing our lovely guest tonight? Yes. Today we're chatting with someone who has been known as an actress, a singer, dancer, a sportscaster, and his, and now a historical fiction author. <laughs> Sorry. Her I can't keep a job. <laughs> Her talents and passions clearly know no bounds, and we are in full support of that. So, ladies and gentlemen, queens and kings, the lovely and multi-talented Lisa DeVita. And I never saw the Lord of the Rings movies. I'm sorry, but I read the books when they first came out. That counts. That counts. That tells you how long I've been around. <laughs> I'm not sure when they came out, but now I'm gonna look. A that while. Up. I think uh, I'm a little jealous of that, though. Actually, yeah, yeah. Well, they were pretty cool. And so, what did you think of them? You heard my take. What was your take? Well, I mean, I remember very little of it now, but no, I loved it. The whole world of it just swept me away. The whole um, creativity, the whole 
Yeah, the mood, the everything. That was great. And he had some spiritual messages, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Tolkien. Well, he he was like friends with C.S. Lewis, and there was like that. Uh-huh. I can't remember the name of their little club they had, but hmm, uh, I didn't know that. It was well, C.S. Lewis wrote some great stuff mm-hmm. too. I can't remember the third guy that was. I'm embarrassed now because I know this. Um, but they had like a trio of huh. writing. Uh, you know, they all had that in common. Um, I believe it's called the Inklings. Maybe. Really? Yeah. This is news to me. The all question right. is, who's the third guy? Are you uh, looking this? Anybody up? know? Anybody? Oh, else? hi! Somebody says hi. Hi. Okay, so what are we covering tonight? Well, I I guess I thought that we would. Um, I don't know. I thought we should talk about your journey. Um, you had like this teeny tiny little job that probably nobody ever brings up where you were a dancer with the Bolshoi. Yes. And well, so- <laughs> it started before then. I mean, okay. To me it was, well, of course I'm dancing with Bolshoi. I was nine. I okay. mean, I make it clear. I was not, um, you know, part of the company. Um, it, it, it really started. Well, the first thing I wanted to become was an archaeologist, actually. Okay. I remember doing a report on it. Um, and I still love, I mean, hence I'm writing historical novels and I asked my poor husband, I bring home fossil impressions every day from the street. Arkansas used to be a sea, un- totally under sea, and then it would go away and then it would come back. So I've got all kinds of invertebrate fossils cool. that, I, that I bring home. Um, so I still do that. But, um, but I, at about probably four in Walnut Creek, California. We had a woodshed and I would perform for the sandbox. And and I was, by the way, rave reviews from every <laughs> grain of sand. I mean, ta-da. But then I started dancing at seven. And at nine, when the Bolshoi came through, and I think it was their second time to the United States, not the first time, um, they auditioned hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children in San Francisco for this ballet they were doing called Ballet School, which started with the little ones, of which I was one, at the ballet bar, you know. And then it would it would end with Maya Plasetskaya doing these incredible lifts and stuff as, as the prima ballerina that she was. So we did three performances at the Fox Theater. Most of the theaters that I have performed in are now torn down, and the Mm -hmm. Fox is one of them. But it was a magnificent old theater, and um, I got my Social Security card, because in those days, now I think you just get one. But in those days, you had to actually have a job to get your Social Security card. So I became professional at the age of nine, sort of. So that's how it started. It was pretty cool. I I still love that credit the most just because the coolness factor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I saw the Bolshoi of the Nutcracker, the Bolshoi Ballet of the Nutcracker in Chicago when I was probably close to nine. And uh, it was like a life changing experience for me as a kid. That was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. They tend to be, uh, at least Maya Plasetskaya was was quite... um, athletic and then the men were very athletic in fact i actually have a funny story <laughs> telling myself um we i don't know why we are we were on stage right i remember we were on stage right and they had the ballet mistress and she was everything you would assume that a mistress 
mistress would be with the hair and the tight bun and the black dress and the thick soled heeled shoes, you know, but obviously was a dancer at, at some point. And she was herding us cats across the stage to stage left to get to wait in the, we were gonna wait before we could go on. And Maya Setskaya was alone on the stage and, and, and the, the set at the very beginning was a ballet bar and she was warming up. And she was wearing these really thick um, leg warmers. Well, I had never seen leg warmers before. And of course the Russian winters, you can understand why they would have them. And I was dumbstruck and I stopped and the group kept going and I stared. And I saw this smile, she put her head down, and I saw this little smile come up, she didn't say anything. Pretty soon the ballet mistress comes clomping back, takes me by the hand and ushers me off. But I like to think that Maya Gosetskaya and I had a special moment <laughs> there. I'm willing to believe it. <laughs> I'm sure, but she didn't mention me in her biography, autobiography <laughs> for some unknown reason. I was looking for it. And now she's now she's passed, but she was remarkable. <laughs> That's great. Cool story. So, oh yeah. Oh, I got I got so many stories. So, so then I just performed every, everywhere I I could. I mean, I've had people say to me, "Well, you need to know somebody." I didn't know anybody. You know, I mean, I did every school musical. I did every. Um, uh, community theater that I got a role in. I you know, played Louise in Carousel, got to do that wonderful dance on the beach. Um, it, it was great. And each time, and this is kind of one of the things I want to impart to anybody out there that that is interested, whether you're young or old, in, in getting into really anything. You just take advantage of every opportunity. And, and I just have always considered myself a plotter. I mean, I'm willing to put in the work and I'm willing to go one step at a time. Nothing has ever come like magically to me. Well, maybe, maybe the bullshit, but, but nothing really. I've just had to go one step at a time. And I don't mind the work. I don't mind the process. And for me, it's worked. And I know other people have gone much faster and farther um, but I don't mind. I love the process. So out of, I mean, out of all the roles that you've played and out of the things that you've done, what, what roles have stood out and why? Um, well, certainly doing a chorus line in LA. I joined, uh, see the show opened in New York in 1975. And I joined the show in L.A. I had auditioned, actually, again in San Francisco, because I grew up in the Bay Area, um, for they were they were casting the three different companies, the, the national company, the, the replacing some of the Broadway, and then the international company. And I really wanted the international company. Uh, and they even told me that day, out of, again, just cattle call, that I would probably go into the international company. And I was very excited. And then radio silence nothing and i in the meantime ended up moving back down to la a life change and i moved to la and they were already there at the schubert theater in century city and they were holding some auditions for you know understudies and 
whatever. And I went to the audition and I said, I, I was told I was going to be in one of the companies, um, but I'm auditioning again. And if you have anything, I'd, I'd really like to do it. And they had us, it was not unlike the, the, the play, really. I mean, you had to step forward and do a double pirouette. I'm terrible at pirouettes. I'm sure I hopped out of it, but, um, but I did it. And then you had to sing and I wasn't afraid to sing. So that was fine. And Michael Bennett and Bob Avian were in the back of the theater, just like Zach is in, in the play. And all of a sudden, Pat Dryley, who was one of the stage managers, came out and said, Lisa, and I go, yes. And she said, um, Mr. Bennett would like for you to understudy Maggie um, at the ballet. That's her song at the ballet trio, but then it, it, she gets the big high note. Um, and uh, would you be willing to understudy until the role opens? Because Kay Cole, who originated the role, had come out with the, with the company. So she was doing L.A. And I did eventually, a few months later, take it over. And um, that was obviously special because Chorus Line was such a huge and a hot show. I mean, just, you know, the Schubert was jammed every night. And uh, I, I loved doing this. I never got tired. I, just, I did 300-something performances of, of it by the time it was over. Um, and lot, I know people who did it for 10 years. I mean, I could have stayed with it. I could have made it a career. I could have, I could have, I could have, I could have uh, been a contender, but, but I was to put my name in for Broadway. And the next time it opened up, I would have gone. I just never wanted to go to New York. I had two opportunities to go to New York and I just, I don't know, never wanted to. So, so I didn't, I did the, I did the Broadway, um, the big, when we broke the, the record for a number of performances, it was that big gala, uh, 1982. Two, three, something like that. Um, and it was amazing because, you know, Barushnikov was in the audience and and we were on stage, just a couple of us for some reason. And all of a sudden the, the stage door opened and it was Helen Hayes and Mildred Natwick. Wow. And Helen had come through uh, Schubert Alley and had stepped on something and her foot was bleeding and I knelt at her feet and other people were, you know, we all knelt at her and talked to Helen and got her first aid. And I mean, that was the highlight for me. Forget the performance. <laughs> it, was, it was Helen Hayes on stage. It was, it was a remarkable, remarkable experience. Oh my God. I, I'm awestruck at the moment, and that is, <laughs> See, you're a that, that singer. is seldom. See, you understand. See, yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, Emily, did you perform too? I don't know. Um, I mean, I did the the usual high school stuff and a couple things in college. I always wanted to do more. I ended up kind of getting into costuming instead, and uh, so I did a lot of theater as a costumer. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that was mostly in Wisconsin. She actually has a really nice voice. Oh, yeah? Well, see, we can do that trio we were talking about. <laughs> like, this is we got to do West Side Story. <laughs> None of us are right for any of the roles. But we, <laughs> it's our only chance. Because <laughs> there's a place for us. This, this, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. That was great. <laughs> 
This is an ongoing thing where Trey thinks I have a good voice and I don't sing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it, I don't, I'm too nervous to even get up and do karaoke by myself. <laughs> oh, I think karaoke is terrifying. Oh, okay. No. Maybe I would rather get up in front of a stadium of people and sing like the yeah. national anthem instead of karaoke. I although I, I I did the national anthem quite a few times. Yeah. I did the Lakers and the Dodgers and and um, uh, the L.A. Kings, the hockey, and which were on the ice. Um, and I remember one at Anaheim Stadium for the Angels. And usually you do it out in the outfield, which there's. By the way, when you stand out in the outfield and you look at home plate, I have no idea how those guys can follow a hit ball. I mean, oh. it is so far away how they can track that. And then when the sun's uh, anyway, sidebar. <laughs> um, but I got so nervous at home plate that my knees literally knocked. I didn't know that that actually was a thing. But they do. Wow. They, they really were banging each other. <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah. And I took um, Stephen out a couple times and he was my son, our son, uh, out in center field. And um, just because I wanted him to experience yeah. it, I would hold his hand because I was on the air then. I was doing sports radio at that point. And uh, I had hold his hand. And he said, I would be fine at the beginning. By the time I got to and the rocket's red glare, his hand was... <laughs> <laughs> I was never aware of it, but he said it was all he could do to just not drink. <laughs> He's like crushing his hand. It is a little nerve wracking. I guess that's I because I don't. I, I mean, I sing in like the car in the shower, but like, how do you, as a singer, if you're that nervous, how do you hold a note? How do you not crack and and crumble these notes? Well, I've done all of it um and it, when you i mean the thing about chorus line you stand on the line and i think about that when i make fun of football players for you know missing a pass or quarterback for overthrowing or whatever and i thought they are doing what we did in a chorus line they they put themselves on the line anytime you do anything live you put yourself on the line and um here we are we're live. Yeah, here we are. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I'm talking about myself. That's right, a lot of course. Than having to, you know, be something yeah. else or sing or dance or whatever. Um, and you have to be willing and have the courage to know that any of that could happen. Yeah. Any of it. And you have to know that, uh, and they do too, and they're getting paid big bucks. And they've got millions watching as opposed to thousands. And everybody... You know, now we've got social media and they get to hear what everybody thinks. Thank goodness we didn't have it when. Right. <laughs> but when I went back, I'm now singing at my church, a canter on Saturdays at St. Joseph in, in um, Tawny Town. And I love it. But when I auditioned, we'll see. Okay. Okay. Now, they made Trey. you audition? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, the voice was not real good at that point, um, because at the ballet, you're pretty much belting. I always did the high note kind of a mix. I think mm -hmm. Kay Cole was able to completely belt it. I, I I had to mix it just a bit. But all the rest of the show is all kind of belty. And then, oh gosh, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. But I had to battle, <laughs> I had to battle cancer twice, okay? So there was radiation, there was chemotherapy, there was no hair, 
There was, you know, all of that stuff. And my voice was gone, but I really, I just wanted to sing again. And Trey, I expect you to be singing again here soon. Yeah. Duly noted. I'm going to hound you. Excellent. Because it's a gift and you must use it. Um, And so I thought I really wanted to sing and I auditioned and it was not real great. Now, to nerves, I was really nervous where the mouth goes dry. Oh, yeah. You know, and you get the words out and you can't (laughs) hold anything. Um, And I, I mean, I really embarrassed myself a number of times at church. I really did. And I considered quitting several times because I thought I can't, I can't do it to them. You know, where they're nervous for me. And I was very embarrassed to say that I'd been a professional singer, you know. Um, But I went back to the piano and I started bringing my head voice back down. You know what I mean, Trey? Mm -hmm. Rather than taking my and trying to mix it, I went the other way and brought it. And I got about three and a half octaves back. Now, I don't want to sing. I don't want to sing a high A, you know what I'm saying, in performance or in a, in a, a, a church. But I can vocalize easily up there. So a lot of it's come back. But now I'm pretty confident when I sing at church. Pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> so when you auditioned, did they say yes right away? Yeah, they said yes, but I think they were desperate. <laughs> oh, no. It's very possible, but it brings me great joy. Good. It really does. Good. I love it's, doing it. That's wonderful. At some point in your life, or maybe along the way, you have to give back. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be more gratifying than, you know, being in the spotlight, which hey, is fun too. But, um, but, but to just say, this is not for myself. This is for them. This is for a higher power. Um, that means something. It does. Would kind of like to add on to that, um, to kind of echo that sentiment of you really just have to get in there and you have to try. But speaking towards the nerves, I had a voice teacher that was kind of adamant about that if you were nervous, then you didn't know your work. Mm. Um, and if you mm. practice, if you practiced and you really knew your work, you knew it inside out from everything backwards and forwards that you wouldn't really get, that you wouldn't get nervous. And I agree with that sentiment to a degree. Me too, um, to a degree. I, When you are placed in a new setting, it is a new place, you're unfamiliar, you have new set of eyes looking at you all the time. Yes. Um, so I think your preparation is absolutely part of it. I sing every day. Yeah. Yeah. But still, and, and when you don't, you know, when you're not 24 anymore and your voice is not the chords are a little drier, maybe thicker, I don't know what it is. Um, and you don't know what they're going to do. You know, I still can't hold a note. I don't know whether it's a result of radiation, but I, I really cannot, I have to breathe like <laughs> twice in every phrase. I, I, I can't figure that out. Um, and maybe, I don't know, Trey, maybe you have an idea what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm careful. I'm sitting up. I'm doing the, the back. I'm making sure I feel the back of my lungs. I'm doing the whole, you know, getting, I'm 
exercising the diaphragm. I'm doing everything that I know, but dang, I can't hold a note for very long. It honestly, it could be a variety of things and I could pull out my vocal pedagogy book somewhere and we could probably help diagnose, uh, but that is not this podcast and I am not a licensed, <laughs> I am not a licensed doctor for that. But so for you, okay. <laughs> Dr. Trey. Hello, calling Dr. Trey. Yes, yes, I'm here to diagnose your vocal conditions. How can I help you? <laughs> um, I have no pride anymore. Um, but it's the other thing is to just start. If you're scared, what are you afraid of? Just start somewhere. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? You make a fool of yourself. Well, okay, once you've done that. I think I think that applies to a lot of things, too, because I remember being new to retail, you know, when my first retail job and I was like an introvert and I was terrified of people. And I got to a point where I mastered it and it was no big deal. And I, I remember getting asked, like, how how do you do this? Like, you know, how have you overcome this or why you seem like such a people person? And I realized that it was because it was my turf mm -hmm. and my turf, my retail stage for talking to people was just familiar. So yeah, I knew my craft. I knew like what I was selling or ringing up or whatever it was I was doing, but also because that customer was coming to me, I wasn't going to a new store all the time to, you know, so I wonder if that's part of it too. I think trying to sell something, you know, walking in cold. My father was actually um, uh, sold to companies, but um, I could, I can't do that. I just, I don't, I don't know if I could I, either. Yeah, my dad I mean, does that too, it. actually. Really? <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't know how he does it. No, I, I still, I, I mean, I, I certainly have extrovert parts of me. But um, I still consider myself an introvert in the sense that being around people exhausts me. Mm. I'd much rather be with one person and see. I know that there are people listening, but I'm just talking to you guys. Yeah, it's just us. <laughs> yeah. That's how I get through it, too. <laughs> I'm sorry that none of you out there exist. <laughs> At least not right now. Radio. And if you're listening right now, uh, we love you. Please sponsor us at pleasesponsorsweloveyou.com. We do love you. Thank you. We, you know what? I want to say something. Today is our one-year anniversary of our very first episode that we uploaded to Spotify. Congratulations. So, thank you. We oh. made it one year. And, I'm proud uh, to be a little part of it. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. This, <laughs> we're very excited. Most podcasts don't last but a couple months, and so we're really? very fortunate. And how'd you yeah. do it? I want. I want to know how'd you do it. How did we do it? Um, you... <laughs> we love this. <laughs> it's it's the people. Yeah, I think we know. Like Emily and I can do a podcast, but <laughs> like the but... podcast, I think would be very different. Um, but <laughs> I would be singing, <laughs> um, for me at least, um, and Emily, feel free to, feel free to chime in. But I think as we've gone through with the podcast, the thing that's brought us back most often are the people that we get to the opportunity to talk to, 
we have talked to an incredibly wide variety of people from uh from a former like broadway performer in um that was with chorus line in la and all the way over to someone who is a world-renowned photographer to um someone who was a chef to i mean literally anyone in between and they all have such unique stories and unique um opportunities to in give insights to themselves and those little nuggets of wisdom have been some of the most beautiful things that i think i have ever had the golden opportunity to listen to so for me it is what keeps me coming back are the people um and the amount of beauty for their art that they're bringing to the world yeah mm. nicely said nicely said and i loved your definition of modern romance modern romantics because it is so much um more meaningful than you know a bodice ripper you know what i mean i mean this is this is really talking about rom high romance um the love of art the, mm -hmm. the critique of art the the literary arts the um and and that we do need more of and i that's part of what i was starting this for you know i wanted to i wanted to uplift artists and you know, that romanticism was something that I've always, you know, I've always been a romantic, but, uh, and with the pandemic, it kind of, you know, people started to get back to that softer side of life. They're making their own bread. You know, people started to learn to knit and these were people that maybe never would have done those things. And I loved that. I thought that this is how it should be. And, yeah. um, kind of went from there. Yes. We can all be artists. Just create and you can create however you choose to create but i think no matter what as stuff you know as life goes on sometimes that part of creativity is taken from you and maybe you get part of it back but maybe you don't get any of it back but if you create you make something that never existed before right and what a gift i mean that's a t tiny bit of what the the great creator does and, and he allows us to do these little things and and it it fills you I, I always feel like you know when my soul is filled that's when I'm happy that's yeah when I'm happy. one of the one of the more fulfilling things too and this happened today I was perusing Facebook and one of our previous guests posted something and I went to hit like and I realized that another previous guest that would have no connection to that person had also liked that post. And I went, I love that this is happening. I love that it's kind of built a community to some degree. Yeah. Well, now I feel connected to, to you two and, and your creative endeavors. And it just expands your world. I mean, the creative world is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Sandra said, uh, you also bring to an audience those who may not have had that wider voice. You introduce them and their art to so many people and cover such a diverse area of art. Oh, she's such a sweetie. <laughs> well, last last year, last year. Oh, Sandra, you'll have to correct me. It was last year or year before. Um, I decided to try and teach people kind of a simplified version of one mm, singular sensation. Except she takes <laughs> a lot of one. Okay. Now, 
to me, I mean, the whole point of that number at the end, and, and not everybody gets it, is that after this rigorous audition, the number is stop, step, touch, 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 step, flick. Okay, so that's the whole point. That's why the number is not more complicated. And at some point, Michael Bennett even considered bringing somebody up from the audience and having everybody dance around them and show them how a star can stand there and go like this. And the dancers are, you know, doing all this. Um, it makes them look like a star. Um, okay, where was I going with this? Oh, I know. So I wanted to teach them. So I ended up at one of the local um, senior residences. And, and most of the people were there. And they were, what a fabulous bunch of people they were. I mean... We had so much fun. I had no idea how difficult step touch was because I've been doing this since I was seven. And yeah, I can't do two thirds of what I used to be able to do, but it's in my bones. It's in my muscle memory. And so to me, it's like, well, it's just step touch. No, 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 you put your weight you know, here. And I realized no to somebody that hasn't done it. They worked so hard. And they did so great. And I'm going to come up with another number for them here real soon. And I'm going to go back. And we had a cast party afterwards. And we were a cast. I mean, see, it's the same thing we've been talking about. You become a family. You create. Exactly. Um, and I don't... It's also, I think, my co-host. Um, if I'm going to really just schmooze this. Um, I think it's my co-host, Emily, for getting a lot of this started. <laughs> so... <laughs> you know, actually, and I, we had talked about doing a podcast for eight years before we started one. And um, yeah, part of it was because the technical side of it kind of escaped me. And my friend Joe Capone, who used to be our um, moderator and producer, uh, helped us get started. And I don't know, I don't know if we would have a podcast quite like we do if it wasn't for him. So he was a big help and he passed in June and we miss him. But you know what? I love that he would be really proud of us. I think, I think he would love to see how far it's come and that we're still, we're still doing it. So, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of determination and I'm a, I'm a DIYer. Like I will figure it out and I will make it happen because I believe in making things happen. See, you don't mind the work either. Right. I've never been afraid to to start something that I really know nothing about, um, and 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 fail because that's what you do when when you when you go into a new venture. Um, but I mean, I couldn't dance my whole life after I Chuck saw me in chorus line. Oh, okay, I have to tell you the Chuck story, and I get to tell it because when he tell tells it, I don't remember all those things, <laughs> so it's my version. So. He had come to see Chorus Line, and he was an associate producer on the Robert Conrad Baba Black Sheep, I believe, at that time. Okay. And um, and he brought he brought. Do you remember Gilligan's Island? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody, the redhead ginger. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he brought her as a date, and you know, I mean, I used to get love letters as. Maggie because she was she was just sweet you know she was just a sweet character and um and he saw me and he decided to invite me in for a um a general casting call 
Was it Tina no, Louise? That's Sorry. it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very good. So he brought me in, and I never got a job, by the way, ever on his show. But he brought me in for a general interview, and it was really going well. I mean, we talked for like 40 minutes. And then here's where Chuck and I differ. He says he said, well, if you're ever on a lot, maybe we can have lunch. And I say, he asked me out to dinner. And I was incensed. By the way, I never faced the casting couch. That's as close as I ever came. I must have had no sex appeal whatsoever. But oh, no. <laughs> I said, it's so naive. We're not even going after her. Um, so I marched out of the office. I said, oh, we've got to go. And, and I marched out and he followed me. So I get a call from my agent the next day or so. And she says, um, Mr. Bowman would like to come see the show again and, and see you afterwards. And I said, no, uh, he, he wants a date. I want a job. And she said, well, uh, the typical, well, I don't know about typical, but agent-like, she said, well, dear, it couldn't hurt. And I said, Okay, fine. So he waited for me. I'm always the last one out. I don't know why. I have to have everything exactly in the right place. So I was like the last person out. And we went up to Harry's Bar, which was a very upscale bar in Century City right there in that complex. And we sat down. <laughs> and he'll tell you this part. I went, don't do me any favors. I don't want to owe you. I have a boyfriend and I'm leaving now. And I got up from the table. He's, you know, we'd ordered drinks, so he's throwing money down. He followed me out to my 62 Chevy Nova, which was parked across the street. And he said, but, 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 no, gotta go, bye, bye. So he took down my license plate. What? Now, today I would be stalking, but it really yeah. wasn't in those days. This is mid-70s. So he was a reserve sheriff. So he ran a make on my car. <gasps> Are you sure that's not stalking? Well, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, he he <laughs> sent me a dozen roses oh. and wrote a beautiful letter, which I kept for years. And then we had a big fight, and I threw it out, and I'd give anything to have it back. But but and he explained that he had two children, and he was not that kind of person. And you know, could we be friends? So I wrote back and said, thank you very much. Yeah, we can be friends. So we'd go out to Baskin Robbins. We'd have a hamburger always in between shows. And in those days, you know, in between shows, I would have hamburger with sour cream and mushrooms and onions, you know, and milkshake. And we'd go, da, 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 da. I'm like, that's a lot of dairy. Oh, my gosh. But I never put on, you know, I, I weighed like 97 pounds. I mean, it, it, and it was sheer muscle because you're doing eight shows a week. Yeah. Dancing through the whole show. So, so we would do that. And then the show went to Chicago. And uh, I, had, um, I had a boyfriend who was also in show business. And things were just not going well. And I really didn't know what to do. And so I called him up. And in those days, it was person to person. You know, we don't have that anymore, but, you know. Not the same. Mr. Bowman, yeah, is he there? No, he's not there. Well, you know. So he called me back later on that night, and um, we talked for like an hour and a half, and he gave me good advice. But that was the turning point because I thought, what an extraordinary man. I do love his – I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I do love his persistence. That is 
notable. Yeah, yeah. So after I finally broke up with the other guy and I came back from Chicago, the first real date we had, he took me to see Lena Horne at the amphitheater. Yeah, that cool. was a good one. Yeah, that that was big brownie points. Yeah. So I still remember the white gown she had on. Oh, magnificent. Yeah. Fabulous. So we've been married 43 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good man. He's a really good man. I lucked out. <laughs> and so who's your next boyfriend? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm way too tired for that. <laughs> At some point you go, oh, gosh. No, he's trained. I'll stay with him. <laughs> he's trained. Actually, we, you know, we over breakfast every morning we sit there and just laugh we have so much fun first thing in the morning that's awesome yeah we do we do so what you asked me uh, parts of okay actually there are two more parts that were that were favorites um, <laughs> um <laughs> I, I i really can do this i really can uh i did sound of music at the uh, dorothy chandler mm -hmm. and and i understudied um um, oh no, she did. Um, okay, the, the TV show Brady Bunch was it Brady Bunch? Okay, um, Miss Oh, shoot, I'll, I'll come up with it anyway. I understood her as Maria, but Michael Kidd was the director, okay. and Michael Kidd, I mean, was I mean, he choreographed Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, he did, I mean, he was a yeah. fabulous choreographer and dancer, and and it, just to work with him. So, but I also played Sister Margareta. How do you solve a problem like Maria? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and just doing that, and, and I actually got a good review with that smallish role. I actually got a review. That made me feel really good. Um, and we did that. I think we did that both in San Francisco and, and L.A. And then my other favorite one was, and this was not a big production. It was out in San Bernardino. But it was with Gordon McRae and the young people won't know him. But if, if anybody has seen the the film of Oklahoma, he played Curly. Okay. And he did a lot of oh. movies. A wonderful, wonderful baritone. And I played his daughter and we had, you know, one scene, just the two of us. And, and uh, it was, I loved that role. I really, really loved that role. And, and to say that I worked with Gordon McRae was astounding. Yeah, so, I'm a little jealous. Just like a little jealous. I was. I just in there. I was watching for your reaction, Trey. I was like, <laughs> saw an eyebrow twitch. <laughs> um. So with like, I know transitioning to um to doing radio and to like sports. Mm, might have been kind of a change um was it hard transitioning and what was your experience like going into like sports broadcasting well i've always loved sports i mean that that was natural um but i'm i'm still not an encyclopedia i mean there are people that you know can give you the year and what their batting average was and it's just not the way i view sports um and actually i i had given birth and six months after giving birth, I, I didn't want to travel anymore, being married and, and being a mom. And KABC Talk Radio, which was the Dodger flagship station at the time, and was the number one station in L.A. It's not now, but uh, they wanted to put a woman 
on their afternoon drive time. And so they decided to have a contest and it was nationwide. And it was supposed to be just women, but the, but the guy said, we're going to sue you. You can't, you can't do that. So they, they opened it up and they wanted a woman. So um, I did not win. I came in second and, and the woman, I won't say her name, but, but uh, she was from New York and she was really expert in hockey, really, really expert, but she made a mistake and she took on the general manager called him a name and um, announced she'd be going back to New York soon. And they said, why don't you get a head start? And they let her go after six weeks. And they called me up and they said, are you still interested? And I went, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so, so I had a meeting with George Green, who actually, he's in his 90s now. And I talked to him just a few weeks ago and he's still the same George. He's just, he what a good general manager he was. And I took Stephen in his little carrier. He was six months old. And I said, you have to know I have this. And they said, George said, that's okay. And I said, it's going to limit. You know, I can't stay for the games all the time. And I got, I mean, I was still nursing. You know, um, that dried up really fast once I got on the air <laughs> because of the stress. Um, so, so they hired me. But again, I knew nothing. They didn't. They didn't give me any schooling. They literally just put me on the air. Wow. And I don't I don't mind researching so I'd be, you know, find out who the guests were and I'd be learning everything I, I could about them. Um, but it was great. I mean, it was like being in a candy store. I mean, to say I know Tommy Lasorda, I knew Tommy Lasorda, I knew Vin Scully, I knew, you know, wow. all those people wow. going down on the field. Um, this is the era of Steve Yeager, Steve Sachs, and um, just missed, um, oh, God. See, this is, I can never remember, Steve Garvey, just missed him. But it was Jay Johnstone and Rick Monday and, I mean, just some really fine, fine players. Um, and, and so I was there for a number of years, and we broadcast from Dodger Stadium during the season. So you'd, we'd start, it was a three-hour, five-day-a-week show, and we'd start, and there'd be nobody in Dodger Stadium. And by the time we'd go off the air, it would be pretty well filled and the whole excitement and you could smell the hot dogs and it, it was just a great experience. And then I went on and went to a couple other radio stations and, and came back to KBC after that, but did Dodger talk, but um, uh, uh, I was, I covered the Rams uh, for one season and I was one of the first females in the locker room. Wow. And all I could think of was I'm a mother. I'm a mother. <laughs> don't, don't, you know, and I tried not to go in because <laughs> there, you know, there were a few guys, not many, but I remember one television broadcaster shielded me from a guy in the shower who was doing untoward things oh. um, so that I didn't see it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was about to ask you what challenges you faced as a female in broadcasting, <laughs> But yeah. I didn't expect that to maybe be an answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were and there were people in, in, in the press box, which was really cool to be in the press box. Yeah. Um, uh, but they were writers and they had wanted that job and they were they were more qualified than I was. I wasn't going to argue with them. They truly were. But they hired me. What was I going to do? Say, oh, no. <laughs> Oh, they 
they hired me, right. so I'm there. You know, I San- did the best I could. Sandra said she remembers the controversy over women in the locker rooms. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I really did try not to. I tried to get them after, but but the thing was, after they'd been interviewed so many times in the locker room, um, by the time I got them, they just wanted to go home. And I needed a self-contained. It wasn't like I needed sound bites. I needed two to three minutes of one-on-one. And uh, it was so bad. I just had to go in the locker room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Tough enough there, you know? I just thought, can't you just put a towel on? You know, big deal. Just just a little. Things you can't unsee. Yes, right. So it's okay. (laughs) it wasn't like I was this anymore (laughs) (laughs) who was um, who's the I don't know who are the two most notable people that you got to interview while you were sports casting Wayne Gretzky hockey legend and funny story with him, it happened to be on April 1st, and we were in the locker room. He's getting ready to go out to practice. He's a very classy guy. And um, he was talking, he was kind of twirling his hockey stick, and he went, he stopped it all of a sudden. He said, excuse me. And he went back out, and he, they had, as an April Fool's joke, they had cut his, his uh, hockey stick so that the first time he took any kind of a shot, it, it would fly apart. But he caught it before he went out. So, I mean, that was really fun to be part of that. (laughs) And then, um, well, the one that comes to mind is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I interviewed him. And he he sat down. And I still had to hold the mic up. I mean, of course, I'm five feet. So, you know, but he is tall. Wow. But but. One of my co-anchors um, was um, Tommy Hawkins, who played for the L.A. Lakers. And uh, Bud Ferrillo, who was our veteran writer on the show, the radio show on KEBC, didn't really want me there. Um, but Tommy and I became great, great dear friends. And uh, I loved Sorry. He died a few years ago. Oh, and he just, he just died in his sleep at, at 80. Um, but he, he and I laughed and laughed and we'd, <laughs> so we'd have like this bag of peanut M&Ms <laughs> and we, the show would start and we'd be so high on sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and then by the third hour, I'm like dragging, <laughs> but I became good friends with his mother and we corresponded for a long time. And he, he was very special to me. But but that was great, and and uh, then I literally walked off a show. I was on um, Gabe Kaplan, Mr. Cotter. Welcome back, Mr. Mm, Cotter. Yeah, I were doing a, a two a two person uh, sports show called Sports Nuts on another station, and I realized Stephen, who was now in, in kindergarten, needed me. So I walked into the boss's office and I said, I got to go home. And he said, can we make it easier on you? Can you stay? I said, no, I got to go home. And I did. And that was it. Wow. Well worth it. Yeah. Yeah, it was. 
I love that though. Not everybody might've made that choice. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. For some reason, there was no question in my mind. I never regretted it. Um, Florence Henderson, she was doing Maria. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sound of music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So oh, I was yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. When you God. said that, I was like, wait, that's, that sound I of music. <laughs> that's hold on. Okay. So you understudied for Florence Henderson. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. What? <laughs> <laughs> I never went on, mind you, but she was, a, and she got sick, but she was a trooper. That woman was tough. Um, uh, but, and I didn't blame her because they came to see her, not me. <laughs> I got it, you know, um, but that was fun. That was really fun. Yeah. I do have to ask, what was she like? She's not, was not what you thought. And I, and I would see her, I saw her throughout the years off and on. She even came to sportscasters sometimes. I ended up being elected president of the sportscasters in, in, in LA. Um, and she would come and <laughs> she said, you didn't marry that conductor, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, she said, ah, that one, nah. um, but she was, she was a tough lady, but she was a pro, a real pro. And I admired her. Um, she wasn't cuddly, but that's okay. This is a tough business. Yeah. No, oh. Yeah. So, yeah. So until Stephen uh, really graduated high school, I didn't perform at all. But he and I had a ball because Chuck was directing a lot and he had always fly us to wherever he was directing. So, I mean, Stephen and I would go to Hawaii when he was doing Jake and the Fat Man. We went to North Carolina when he was doing something else. Um, it was a great childhood for him. And uh, and I had a ball too. And, and uh, you know, Chuck was directing a lot. So Stephen and I had a lot of time. You know, one of the parents just kind of had to be there. Yeah. And Chuck did as much as he could. But when you're working 15 hour days, it, it's just limited. So it wasn't until, you know, Stephen was much older than I kind of went back into singing. I did some cabaret stuff. You did something else that's really cool in Hawaii, didn't you? <gasps> yes, I did. Oh, coolness factor plus. Okay. So <laughs> my college roommate from Occidental, now Occidental, then I went to UCLA, but then I didn't graduate because I was already getting work. I got my equity card at 19. So I, I just went ahead and worked. Um, but she was in Hawaii and she said, you know, they're, they're doing an experiment with dolphins in Koalo Basin. And she said, I can, you know, maybe you could go, they need people to help do this. I, yeah, yeah. So I went, I forget whether I went once or twice a week and I would um, thaw out 20 pounds of silver smelt. And this was in the beginning stages of the experiment. It became much more sophisticated later, but I'm so thrilled that I was in there at the beginning because it was more one-on-one -on -one with the dolphins. And the, um, the pool came up to just about my waist and I would have the fish in a bucket and we were doing hand signals. You know, this meant that, that meant, you know, go get that, that meant the blue one, the red one, whatever. And Phoenix and Akea Kamai were the two dolphins. I know, I know Akea Kamai is gone, probably Phoenix is too. Um, but I would give these commands and if they didn't get them, didn't do it correctly, the wasn't a punishment, but to let them know they hadn't done it correctly, we would just 
by the side, just hold them for like count to 20 or whatever. And they, they would get really upset when they, when they didn't do it correctly, but they were about 80, 85% of the time. At that point, they did it correctly. Wow. And when, when it was over, <laughs> then I kind of got in trouble because apparently I was a little bit flowery with the, uh, with the gestures. <laughs> I remember, I remember the, the, you know, the professor going, she's got to just do this. I'm like, whoa, come, come to me, a dolphin, you know, so, uh, but it was great fun. And uh, we got to go swimming with them at, at the end. But uh, they would get, awesome. they were, they were teenagers at that point. And so they were very emotional and it bothered them if they didn't do it right. We went back years later and Stephen actually got to go and they had built it all the way up and just had windows and they were trying to use um, high pitched sounds, you know, in the range of a dolphin to communicate with them and see if, if that worked. And I think they had limited success but not, not great success, but what an experience. Yeah. Oh, I treasure that. Absolutely treasure it. That's cool. Yeah. And now all the other trainer, then all the other trainers had to be equally as flowery with their gestures <laughs> in order to get the dolphins to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You have a graduate student there and he'd be taking notes as to whether, you know, whether they did it correctly or not. But I was there working with the dolphins. I mean, that's dang. so amazing. Yeah. And step toe, step toe, <laughs> take off the hat. <laughs> yeah, we were in Honolulu. Yeah, we did. I don't forget how long we were there, several months. That was, that was fun, too. But that was just like coming back to the show. I hadn't done the show in a while. It was just like, oh, going into slippers, you know, old worn slippers because you knew the show so well. Okay. So some of the other things, uh, just to list this off, uh, you have studied. Shaolin Kenpo for 13 years. 13 years, yeah. You've done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for four. Mm -hmm. uh, you um, sung the national anthem at so many different venues. Um, you've understudied for Florence Henderson. You studied with, uh, you were part of a production with one of the original choreographers for Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Um, I, I feel like I asked this a lot, but what haven't you done? <laughs> Well, how successful have I been? Maybe the <laughs> I certainly never became a star. Um, I do everything I can that I want to really, and 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 with varying degrees of success. But it's like we talked about. I gotta create. I mean, I, I I love history, so I started writing the books. I really started writing, and my first book is really bad, to be honest with you. I want to take it back and redo it, but. <laughs> It was. I didn't know what I was doing. And I'm better, but I don't know how great I am yet. But um, I got cancer in 2014, breast cancer. And we thought it was a one and done. It, so I did radiation and chemo. And 2018, it came back and it came back more vir virulent. I can hardly say that word. And so they had to get more aggressive. And after that, they finally did a genetic test and from one of my parents, I, I inherited the um, uh, BRCA2, not BRCA1, BRCA2 gene mutation, which is not mm -hmm. quite as bad as the BRCA1. Uh, that The BRCA2 is mainly estrogen driven. So they have ripped out everything female <laughs> from me. I mean, I've been cleaned out. 
And so hopefully they still have to watch for melanoma and pancreatic cancer, but, but I'm in, I'm in good shape. It's, I've been good since 2018. My hair's grown back as you can tell. And good. yeah, so, um, and it's looks okay. lovely by the way. Thank you. Thank you. It came yes. back a little bit curlier. I had, I did, I had blow dry it, but, um, and yeah, it's not quite as thick, but I had so much hair to begin with. It's okay. I got plenty. It's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> and it's now for 10 seconds of fussing with their hair. So right. now. we'll join you. Okay. We'll join you. Yes. You should have seen me before the show, folks. You know, I was going to wait. No, do I want this down? No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like vanity. <laughs> so you spent quite a, you spent quite a bit of time in Scotland, though, researching your newest Yes, book. I did. Yeah, we, it was wonderful we went we went to dunfermline which is where their castle was there uh, and um I, I actually when i after i left chorus line <laughs> i have so many wonderful stories on myself we left the show in chicago okay i'm from the i was from the west coast hadn't done a lot of traveling and i thought to myself i am halfway to europe if i don't go to europe i'm a fool so from Chicago, <laughs> I flew to, uh, to Great Britain and I bummed around for a couple of weeks. And I met at, at a train station, John Hewitt, because I couldn't understand the Scottish brogue was so bad on the PA. I couldn't understand what they were saying. So we became longtime friends. I wrote to them for decades. Then when he passed, I, I wrote to his daughter, his wife, Doris. And so when we went back to Scotland, I looked up their sons who I had met, one was already gone, but 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 Colin and Alistair were still there. And so we got together and uh, Colin took us up to Dunfermline and I researched at the library there in Edinburgh. And uh, it was fantastic. Um, Sandra was asking, can you tell us who your historical novel is based on? This is uh, Margaret, Queen Margaret of Scotland. Queen and she's also a saint. Um, usually when I say Queen Margaret, they go, oh, yes, Queen Mary. No, Queen Margaret married Malcolm III. And uh, uh, she is a saint. Would she be today? Probably not by the methods that, that they use today. They're a little more stringent about it. But she was a loving, uh, very loving person, loved her children. And several of her children ascended to thrones and married people who were on thrones and she had a large impact on Scotland. A lot of things in Scotland, in Edinburgh, are, are named after Queen Margaret. So I'm, it's really a trilogy. I, 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 the first one is published. The second one is ready to be published. I just haven't done it. Um, and the third one, I, I know where it's going because she dies at the end. But um, I, haven't, I haven't written it yet. <laughs> spoiler alert. I know. Spoiler alert. She didn't live forever. <laughs> She's a, she's a fascinating person, and I love I love her a lot. So it's it's been a joy, and I've got several other books that I want to write, but now I've gotten involved in this documentary because I haven't done a documentary, so I need to do cool. one. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Right. Why not? So the church that I canter, or at which I canter, Saint Joseph was founded by Pietro Bandini, and. Uh, in 1852, something like that. I should know that. But uh, he first went to Montana as a missionary. 
and um, ended up being called back to Italy and defrocked for whatever he did in Montana. And uh, um, then he went to New York and worked with the Italian immigrants there, was very vocal, very big advocate for them, ended up in Taunty Town, Arkansas, and founded the church at which I sing now. And the, the Italian Taunty Town is still largely Italian, but I decided because think about the assimilation that went on in Bandini's life. Number one, he had to assimilate to America. Mm -hmm. Number two, he had to assimilate to the, to the Native Americans there and kind of did forced assimilation on them. Then when he went to New York, he was working with the Italians there. And then in Arkansas, it was what you call cultural um, assimilation a different kind of assimilation. And these people already had the same religion. They spoke the same language. They didn't, it, it's a much, much easier transition. And so in um, a couple weeks, I have the Crow historian from Montana flying out here. And we're going to interview him here. Cool. And take him to the Trail of Tears up here, and just like Pea Ridge. And then in spring, I will go to Montana and get footage there and meet. He said his grandmother will talk to me and he's given me, and I don't have it here. He's given me the book to read called the stars. We know if anybody's interested in the Crow nation, read the stars. We know. Okay. Um, and it's about ast astronomy, astro astrology, and <laughs> but they focus their religion on the stars and, and reading about it is, is just fascinating. That's my prep before I interview him. So um, I've applied for fiscal sponsorship and um, I hope to uh, get that so I can start applying for grants from the government. Cool. And there's Chuck. Hi, Chuck. He just walked by. <laughs> Hi, Chuck. Hi, Chuck. <laughs> we should like clip this part and we can just like play that for him so he can see himself like walk by and just be like, Hi, Chuck. <laughs> Oh, the only other thing I've got going is that on a, a week or two, I start rehearsing with the uh, university choir, one of the university choirs, they have many, um, Mozart's Requiem. So I'm going to be singing. Oh. Have you ever done that, Trey? No. I've never done it. I've it's never done it. gorgeous. Yeah. Um, fun fact. Uh, so in high school, I was part of, um, there's the at AP classes you can take. And then at my high school, they had something called the International Baccalaureate. And for the end, uh, the capstone, whatever elective that you took, you had to write your thesis paper for that elective course. So many people chose psychology. I think one person chose physics. Um, I was one of two people that did music. Uh, and I actually wrote my thesis paper on the Mozart Requiem. What can you tell me? Something? Now, I know Mo Mozart did not finish it. Correct. Uh, it was actually... Um, it's an amalgamation of like his his uh, proteges. It, essentially, it he finished up through the first eight bars of Lacrimosa, like the. Oh, I wondered where he stopped. Okay. Um, so first eight bars of that, he had written down the orchestrations for it. So in technicality, the there's so many people who love Lacrimosa, but he never finished it. It was actually the people who came after him. 
And the rumors go that it got handed off to these two or three ghost writers who got, you know, a little bit of the ways through. Uh, and then a good chunk of it was actually from one of his uh, Mozart's protégés, um, Susmeyer. And they believe that Susmeyer actually completed the entirety of the uh, what we now consider to be the completed edition. Uh, but still scholars go back and forth based on XYZ like notations and things. Uh, but long story short, um, there are many people who had a hand in writing Mozart's Requiem and for the tunes that we still love to this day. Now, what I read, tell me if I'm correct, was that he did leave, Mozart left copious notes about kind of what he was planning to do. But of course, that's not note for note. I mean, he didn't get that far. Correct. Uh, he did leave notes, um, not not a whole lot of details, but just some ideas of things. Um, mm. Probably, I will have to go back and review the notes, but maybe like a few simple melodies here and there. But for the most part, you got it right. Did he did he write the Dacere though? Is uh, that before the Cremosa? I'm not sure. Oh, you're really testing my I'm knowledge sure. on it. I love I this. Will know, I will know in a few weeks. I will know. Um, I think the Dacere uh, comes before that. I think it's what leads into the Lacrimosa. Um, okay. One Google search, one second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I really am because that's so famous. It's been used in so many films. And uh, man, those words are heavy duty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. So, no, um, it goes no. the introitus, um, Kyrie, uh -huh. then it's the Diesire, uh, Tuba Mirum, uh, Rex Tremende, Recodare, Confutatis, Lacrimosa, Domine Jesu, Ostias, Sanctus Benedictus, Agnus Dei, uh, Lux Eterna, Cum Sanctis Tuis, and that's the finale. That is what you call a high mass. Yeah. <laughs> that is a long requiem mass. Um, so you're saying you don't think he did do Diesire? I th no, he definitely he did. He did. Okay, because it was it's long before that. Okay, okay. Does anybody else know? Oh, sorry, Cisco <laughs> Trey Grow. <laughs> Are we, Are we summoning? A... <laughs> uh, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no. um, is it is it plain that, to see that I love the Mozart Requiem like a yeah. lot? I'm 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 glad I told you, but see, it's new to me. I'm ugh. I'm not. These are fun. Kaz <laughs> said, "Awesome! I brought candles." Oh, that's interesting. My family would say we are full Scottish when I was growing up thought that until I took a genetic test and found out I'm not Scottish, I'm Swedish. I actually have both in me, so maybe we're related. I don't know. Could be. The stars Could we be. know. Yeah, that's it. Astronomy and Lifeways. Yeah. It's a real, It's not a thick book, but it's so um, new to me that I'm having to read it slowly. Yeah. Timothy McCleary is who wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very Native American name. <laughs> Maybe it's it also be. Scottish and Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Timothy. <laughs> we love you, Timothy. Uh, right. Please sponsor us. We love you at themodrom.com. <laughs> oh my gosh! It made me really 
really want to read this book. Uh, it's on yeah, Am- it's, it's on Amazon for anybody who. Wants oh yeah, oh yeah. That's yeah. the link. I mean, we that was recommended to me by the Grow Nation, so cool. I'm really excited about going there and and seeing what assimilation did to them, what remnants of assimilation are still there, and they are. I real literally read in today's um, uh, or yesterday's Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. That that a Montana uh, state legislator is is questioning whether we should still have reservations. So I mean, it's it's still you know can you not? I mean can 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 we just leave them alone and right. let them be who they are? I mean yeah. So so it still goes on. So that's what I want. I, I he said this may not be flattering, and I said I want the truth. And I do. Awesome. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see this documentary. I think it's going to be good. And then, and then the success at Taunty town, totally, totally flipped, you know, um, it's, and Taunty town is thriving and, and still Italian. I saw on Facebook, somebody, they just made all the sausages by hand, you know, this oh, big wow. trough and they're mixing off all the stuff. And, you know, the Italian traditions remain, they're not fully assimilated and that they still maintain the tradition. So it'll be, very interesting to to compare and contrast. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing else. Is the is the um, Queen Margaret of Scotland? Is that a series then, or it'll it... be a tr- it'll okay. be a trilogy? Yeah, That's I really I need to publish the other. I I wanted to get it traditionally published. You know what? That almost doesn't exist anymore, um, unless you're you know very famous author. But but for somebody kind of starting out like me there it it just it just kind of doesn't exist the publishing world is in enough trouble and they don't want to take a chance so i think i'll, I'll just i'll do the trilogy and put it up on amazon good for you yeah i don't care make it happen yeah <laughs> yeah make it happen I, I created something that didn't exist there's very little on her so hey that's maybe. great <laughs> well historical fiction is huge i i could see why I love it. that would be something that people would you know want to buy yeah. up and read yeah in the so. author yes yes <laughs> so you have oh go ahead Trey. um kind of a slight tangent but i i like to ask this question just just kind of out of the blue when no one's expecting um so really it's to evolved now into two questions first um what is who is one person dead or alive that you would love to have lunch with oh chuck and i do this all the time now who was it (laughs) well definitely somebody historic um oh you know what let me ruminate on that because because i'm thinking well margaret i'd love i'd love to talk to margaret um People that have written um, some of the philosophers. I mean, um, uh, 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 um, uh, Maria Reiner, um, mm, Teilhard. Um, the some of the Catholic mystics I find very interesting, and the mystics tend to be very different from. God, we were just watching 1923, and I'm going. Oh, I don't want to tell anybody I'm Catholic. Where they're beating the. Oh, right. <laughs> Poor girl. Oh, man. Um, but the mystics, 
I think the mystics of all religions, um, the boundaries mesh because once you break out of rules and regulations and go to the heart of whether it's the great spirit or the Lord, I'm not saying not as a Christian, I you know, believe Jesus and all mm -hmm. that stuff, but I'm, I'm not going to go there. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Once you go to the heart of divinity, however you choose to do it, there starts to be an overlap because it's about love. It's about mercy. It's about not having to be the most important thing in the world. You are not. You are something small, but you get to partake of something that is eternal. And I think they, they that's why you get a lot of Catholic priests, I think, who, who end up, you know, going into Buddhism as, as a, an extracurricular thing, because there is something to be gotten. And, uh, and, and hardline Catholics, sorry. But, um, but I just feel like um, there's a meeting place when mystics. So there's some of the mystics that I would just love to talk to. C.S. Lewis would be fascinating. I mean, we talked about yeah. him. Um, I'd love to sit down and have Tommy Hawkins again. I'd love to talk to him again because I miss him so much. Mm -hmm. um, some of my ancestors, I only knew one set of grandparents. I'd love to go back and meet some of the others. So maybe someday we'll find out. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> my follow-up question is, uh, you wake up one day and you find that you can literally sing anything. It uh, doesn't matter if it's it's a role intended for a man or it's a role intended for a woman or it's one of those versatile roles that it kind of changes the meaning of the show depending on who plays it. What one role do you choose to play? <laughs> <laughs> Mimi in La Boheme. <gasps> oh, okay. Just because, and I'm not that huge in op opera buff, but... But I mean, Puccini is much more accessible. And I did do some of those. I did some opera when I was singing seriously in college and, and some of that. So just, just, just not, not performing, but, you know, as art songs and as learning opera. And, um, and they always tried to put me in trouser roles, I guess, because I was small or something. But I wanted to Mimi. <laughs> that would be fun. Yes. Do you yeah. have a favorite aria? Uh, probably the one, see me, kiyama no mimi. Yeah. To where she's going to throw herself into the Arno if she, daddy doesn't let her marry him. I mean, drama for right. days. <laughs> for days. <laughs> you know, just normal things. I'm going to throw myself into this. <laughs> yes. If you don't, I'm going to hold my breath until I turn blue and throw myself right. into the Arno. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I respect that choice. Very nice. Okay. Okay. Sounds like fun. I mean, I was going to say a musical theater thing, but but if I could do anything, mm -hmm. you know, there there were no limits. That would be um, that would be wonderful. And you, Trey? God, I'm glad Ooh. you Jesus. I'm glad you beat me to it. <laughs> That's great. It's not so easy, is it? Um. Oh snap! What would I do? Um, I'm really going to have to ruminate on this. Oh. I'm sorry to steal your answer, but I'm no. going to have to ruminate on this. Okay. That's when, fair. When the possibilities are endless, it's uh, hard to sometimes narrow it down. 
We'll wait. It's okay. Um, this is really hard. Do you want us to come back to this or can you? Yeah. um, Okay. I'm going to think on this. Uh, We'll come back to it. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure at all. Um, so Lisa, with writing, what's part of, what is part of the process that you get the most excited about? Like, is it going to Scotland and diving into the culture? Oh, I love to travel. Yeah. Oh, I love to travel. Um, I love research. Yeah. I love researching anything. Um, if I had to describe myself, I would say curious. I just, everything but math. Um, but, (laughs) but history, I just, um, it, yeah, I'll, I'll spend the day. I was fortunate enough to be a reader, uh, which means a researcher, at the Huntington Library in L.A., and you're supposed to have a doctorate to do that, and for some reason they allowed me to do it for like a year and a half without a doctorate. Um, cool. But I would, I would just go there and I'd wander the stacks and, and I'd bring all these books back out and I'd go through every single one of them, and it was it was heaven for me. I, Yeah. Uh, yeah, and 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 travel certainly. I'm gonna. I, I'm going to Italy, actually in um, June. I, I've always wanted to go to the Palio in Siena, the horse race that's mm. from medieval times. And I decided before I get any older, I, I'm going to go do that. And Stephen's going to meet me there, and uh, we're going to. We have a couple places we really like to go in Rome and Florence, and then I've got relatives in Lucca, in, in uh, Tuscany. So we'll go visit them, and um, it's uh, lovely. Yeah, I, I am. I'm actually Steve and I are in the process of getting our Italian citizenship, our dual citizenship. Oh, that my grandfather. Is so that's where the Divita comes from. Do so you, we've turned it in. You speak Italian then? No, I mean okay. I, I try every time I go, and then I come home and I stop trying, and then I lose it all. Then I'm about to start trying again before I go in June. Yeah. Yeah, That's but with the bloodline, you don't have to speak. If you don't have the bloodline, you have to, you have to learn it. So, and and my and my cousin in 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 Luca, she she spent a number of years in Chicago when she was growing up, and so she loves it because she wants to speak English when we come. Well, I want to speak Italian, <laughs> so, but it's easier to speak English, so she wins. Um, but it's great fun to to go visit them there. I bet it is. Yeah. Make make her a deal. Uh, say, okay, we'll speak in English fifty uh, percent of the time, and then fifty percent <laughs> of the time we'll do Italian. Yes, even if she just corrected my accent as I try to say it. I mean, forget the grammar. I mean, I'll I'll never get. I can't do past tense. It's like anybody who comes. You hear a lot of people when they come here speaking from another language. They will speak everything in the present tense. It's because it's just easier. And you can make yourself understood even if you're speaking in the present tense. I think the one, the only reason I passed Italian is because I had taken Spanish uh, for like three years. And then I took Italian because I was going into to music school. So mm-hmm. it was just a nice transition. And I think that's one of the only reasons that I passed that class. Because it was just like, yeah. oh yeah, conjugation. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to 
when I do Latin in church, I'm going, oh, okay, I see where that word came from. And so I'm kind of, I would love to learn Latin. Of course, liturgical Latin is a little bit different than Latin, Latin, Roman Latin, but, but uh, any of it, I, I would love to become proficient in any other language. Okay, you saying that I have my answer to the question. Okay. Kunaganda from Candide. Oh, you know, even with with no inhibitions, I don't think I could ever sing that one. That is so coloratura. But I mean, God, yes. Sidebar. My favorite performance of that is Kristen Chenoweth singing it with Patti LuPone playing the old Spanish woman. Um, uh, It was recorded. It is available for purchase. You can buy it on DVD. Uh, Do not go pirate anything. Um, But it is a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous performance. So please go watch that. Huge fan. Kristen Chenoweth is amazing. What an instrument that woman has. And she's taken such good care of it. And she's like this thin you know um but she has this incredible incredible voice she does at christmas because really because of her rendition of mary did you know i sang it at my church and she i mean i don't think i came close to her but she did such a beautiful job that i had to sing that song because she just gets the guts of a song and she just drives it uh, great admiration for the woman She's someone I thought about emailing to see if she'd come on the show. <laughs> do, do, it. It. do it. Do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, do it. And she's from Oklahoma, as I recall. Yeah. She was adopted. So she doesn't really know, I don't think. Maybe she did finally find her parents. I don't know. But I don't think she knows where she got the talent. But what an instrument she has. I think she's Scottish and Swedish, too. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Everybody listening now, doesn't matter where you're from, you are now Scottish Everyone. Swedish. Scottish and Swedish. Welcome to the family. No. Um, real quick, we have someone in the chat I want to bring your attention okay. to. Dance journalist friend says, so proud of you, baby sister. I can't believe after 50 years, I'm still learning new things about you. And oh, your version of Mary, did you know, was haunting. Oh, my gosh. Oh, how nice. Wait, that can't be Nina. So, well, baby sister, that's that's probably Nina. Nina, if that is, if it's somebody else, let me, oh, it's Nina. Okay, Nina and I go back. I turned 21 with Nina in Las Vegas when we were doing Hello, Daughter. Oh. And she gave me, I mean, I was raised a Christian scientist, so I never had any alcohol. Or anything. So she gave me my first drink. She totally corrupted me in so many ways. Um, but we go back so far, and we did several shows together. We did Hello, Dolly. Then we did Fiddler on the Roof at the Amundsen in L.A., where we played the two little sisters. And that was great fun. So then she went on to become a, 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 a um, newscaster, an anchor, news anchor in Tucson, and then became a council person in tucson has her own pr firm anyway so yeah we've traveled together they, she took me to europe my first time that's yeah, fabulous we thank long you long way thank you for joining us tonight nina and steven <laughs> is this steven your son then yes where's steven i don't see that 
Uh, it's a, oh, Steffi B. Yeah. Yes, that's Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Thank Stephen. You for tuning in. I told him he better. I think Stephen and I have a weird thing in common, actually, because when I was doing my research, I swear this wasn't stalking. I didn't run any license plates. <laughs> <laughs> but like, didn't you do I, this? This whole podcast took a turn and I'm sorry. No, I'm scared. No, it's a reference from earlier. Um, so like you did some work somewhere along the line, maybe post-production on Outcast. Is that right? Steven? Oh, Steven did. Steven did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 He's so a production producer. The pilot. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so maybe it pilot, wasn't. Yeah. So the show, the Outcast, the show was filmed in York and Rock Hill, South Carolina, and the costuming <laughs> department. Uh, Emily's spilling all the secrets. The costume department, who is also Scottish and Swedish. Um, <laughs> I was working retail at the time. And they came really? to my store and I helped them dress the minister, whose name I forget. Stephen, who's the, who did that role? Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. But Maybe he doesn't remember. But so I got to watch the show and recognize everything that he wore, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's been... Um, very he's been very successful i'm really proud of him and he started he started at the bottom as well and worked his way up and uh i mean some of people oh well no he started at the very bottom as did chuck's older son started in the mailroom and has gone on to direct um one of the x-files movies and reign of fire which is a kind of cool. a cult film yeah yeah i know that one. so i mean they've been very successful but they've They've done it. They've done it the long way. They put in the work and they're both really, really good. And Karen was a Chuck's daughter. Uh, his eldest was a sound editor. Am I right, Stephen? She was a sound editor. Uh, he's not there. So Scottish Swedish now. <laughs> a mod rom t-shirt. <laughs> I think we should. We need I'm a Scottish. mod romantic t-shirt. <laughs> We're all Scottish and Swedish. She was, oh, she was, okay, so Karen was an assistant editor and then a music editor. Okay, so okay. all Chuck's kids ended up in the business. Cool. I can't, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a little delay, too, so I know that. Oh, okay. Like, when we say something, it doesn't, they don't see it immediately, and so, yeah, it takes a second Stephen to appear. Great adventures. We've gone to Italy together before, and and we just yeah we have a ball. So I'm looking forward to this June thing. Well, Italy's on our bucket list too. Um, got to, got so to, got to. We might also have to do like a mod rom group trip. Oh, yeah, and talk to me before you go. I can make okay. some recommendations. Sure. Yeah, because I've never been. So on our list, we now have Iceland, Scotland. Italy. Iceland. Yes. Yes. Um, and then Sweet. we still. Oh, Sweden. <laughs> yes. Sweden. The homeland. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then at some point along this uh, this international world tour of the Madron, uh, we need to find a castle for which to do the photo shoot. Oh, there's so many yeah. in Scotland. I mean, anywhere, but Scotland has some great ones. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was one of our original uh, running ideas was to somehow adopt a castle for a weekend and do like a whole gathering with photo shoots and horses. Because and, I, I do it. photography, too. 
Airbnb is your friend. Yes, that's I've heard this, which is exciting too. I like the idea of staying in like a house instead of a hotel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do Airbnbs. Yeah, it's better. Then you can cook. Yes. Too. Fun. Yeah. One thing, one thing I do, um, I would like to just kind of comment on is that I like that as busy as you were as a mom, you made it a very clear and present. Uh, you made yourself very clear and present for your children. And I think that that now speaks highly of them, that your son is now here watching you and supporting you on this podcast here. Um, so I would like to take a moment just to applaud you that as a working mom, um, that you it's clear you've done a very wonderful job. So well, thank you. Well, he's worth it. And he's he's pretty cool. Now I can look at because he's my only blood child, um, and and Karen and Rob are not that far off my age, but um, but Stephen is very cool adult, and I can now sit here and just admire him as a person, which is wonderful, and he's got a great fiance. So well, not formal fiance. But... <laughs> Yeah, take the compliment, Stephen. <laughs> take it and run. <laughs> we've, we've got it recorded now, too. So anytime That's you right. need that, we've got it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Even Nina Stephen thinks you're pretty... cool. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Actually, she when Stephen turned 21, she took him to Vegas just for the tr tradition because she I was with her on my 21st. So she took him and gave him, well, it wasn't his first drink, but... Um, they had they had a good time too. <laughs> well, Stephen, we'll ask you those stories later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he said, "Oh, I got drunk with Nina." <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh jeez. Kaz said, as someone who just gave birth to my second little one, uh, I'm inspired to be half the mom you are, Lisa. Oh, heavens. Oh, heavens. No, I no. I mean, there's so many things I would do differently. And Stephen knows that. I've apologized to him for certain things that I really did wrong. But, you know, um, a, a, an aunt, one of Chuck's aunts, actually said to me when I was pregnant, I said, I don't know what I, I never babysat. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't have a younger sister. And she said, as long as the child knows they're loved, it's going to be okay. And I do believe that. She was right. Anna Vesta, I miss you. I love you. Hmm. Chuck has the best family. Oh, man. I am so lucky to be in his family. <laughs> they're up in Coffeyville, Kansas. It's great. Oh, and Nina said, wouldn't we all on a second? Wouldn't we yeah. all? Wouldn't we all on yeah. a second chance? But you. On a second, yeah. Oh, you're an amazing mom. And that's exactly well, yeah. it. Your love was everything. Well, thank you, Nina. She knows way too much about me. <laughs> <laughs> she could blackmail me like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> well, we'll have Nina on the show, too. Then. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, uh, if you want to come on, that's fine, too. I do, how much can I tell? <laughs> uh, fun fact, Nina is also Scottish and uh, <laughs> Swedish. <laughs> Fun fact, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so what else did you guys want from me? <laughs> Is there any advice that you would give 
Any creative advice you would give someone who wants to start out in anything that you've done? Do it. I'm not saying you're going to be a success because that we don't always have control over. Um, if you're willing to do the work and you're willing to put yourself out there and make a fool of yourself and not care and do it because you love it. I, you know, people off, will often ask, how do, how do you do it? And, and I just say, well, actually, it's impossible. Um, but if you love it enough, you do it. And, and that's if nothing stops you, you will have a measure of success because it cannot evade you if you keep going. So and, and, and if it's something that you can't devote yourself to, then then be creative another way. If something is taken from you, figure out another way to be creative. But if that creativity, that beauty is in you, as, as a photographer once said, when they said, why don't you do grittier pictures? And he said, why? Is there too much beauty in the world? And I, I, I ascribe to that. I mean, I, I be, bring beauty to the world. There's plenty of ugliness and division and bring harmony, bring mercy, bring love, bring beauty. And um, in your own little world, if, if it's never worldwide, okay, so who cares? Do it in your house because it does change the world. Don't think you haven't made a big enough impact. It does change the world. I firmly believe that. And so go change your world, the world, anybody's world, but do it if you're creative. And know you have my love and support. Absolutely. You also have ours. Yes. Speaking, speaking as a podcast that was once just a couple of listeners has now turned into a podcast of many listeners. Mm -hmm. And so um, we all have to start from somewhere. Yeah. And congratulations to you too. Thank you. You have created something wonderful. Thank you. you. Um, Lisa, uh, before we before we end tonight's podcast, um, I do just want to ask: um, Are there what are some ways that our listeners uh, can get in contact with you or follow you for any updates um, about your second and third upcoming novels? Um, I do have LisaDevita.com. Uh, 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 a uh, you know WordPress website. Um, I'm on Facebook as Lisa Devita and also as Lisa Bowman. Um, so if you, if I don't know you, I, I usually don't friend you. So say that you heard me on the podcast, okay? And and then I'll I'll, I'll know who you are because that's that's good enough for me. But if if you're way out of left field, I won't do it. So you can go to those places. I think I'm on Instagram as well as Lisa Devita. Yes. Yeah, you are. Okay. <laughs> you can tell I go on a lot. It's uh there are dots between Lisa D and Vita. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. For <laughs> for you. Instagram only. But yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to, to meet some of the people that um that listen tonight. And with every follow of Lisa Vita, you are now Scottish and Swedish. Um, <laughs> I actually anyway. am. <laughs> Welcome to the family. Yes. Uh, Lisa, from from me, this has been an, a true pleasure. Thank you so much for being on tonight. Thank you for sharing your beauty with us. Um, and it's it's this has been incredible. 
Thank you. Both of you, thank you for asking me on. I'm so happy to find this podcast, and I'd love to stay in touch with you guys, and we can compare our journeys. I'd love that Love that, too, yeah. Nice. Yeah, and we'd love to have you back on sometime with uh, maybe your documentary or something, and we'll talk again. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, yeah, we'll work on something like that. We might be able to come up with something really interesting. Okay. Cool. I love you guys already, just after however long it's been. Uh, Hour and 45. Okay. Well, see. Thank you. We love you, too. <laughs> we love you, too. And Rick, oh. Rick Fair, F-E-H-R, Rick? in the chat says, hi, Lisa. Rick, we got to wait. We got to be in, in touch more. We went to high school, junior high, uh, together. And, wow. and I miss you, Rick. I'd love to be in touch with you again. Yes, be in touch with, with Lisa. <laughs> This is amazing. (laughs) And Sandra said she's still here. I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to your story. Good. Good. He said first grade. That's amazing. Oh, that's right. We do go back that far. Oh, my God. Wait, first grade at Spring Hill? Yeah, Burton. I think it was Burton. That would have been fifth grade. Yeah. But that's a long time. Oh my God! Well, hi Rick. Uh, super. <laughs> wow. My <Am> Rick. <laughs> um, no, but that's incredible. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, as we close out tonight, on I was not expecting that, but this is so um, cool. <laughs> um, as we close out tonight's episode, it is like Emily uh, brought up. It is our one-year anniversary of being on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who's tuned in, our supporters, subscribers, our moderator Josh, and our producer Sandra. Um, this episode, along with probably every single episode from here on out, is in memory of Joe Capone, our moderator, fellow comedian, critic, encourager, and fantastic friend. Uh, thank you, everybody. Have a Swedish day. A Swedish day. A Swedish day. And don't forget to just do it. Do it. We love you. Bye. Bye.